you have to show the initiative. You have to have some skill. You have to demonstrate that you have the skill and that you can identify a need for another person. Like it's basic level. But that, that basic level is a hurdle that most people won't jump over. Welcome to the game where we talk about how to get more customers, how to make more per customer and how to keep them longer and the many failures and lessons we have learned along the way. I hope you enjoy and subscribe. What's up, everybody? Today, we are joined by a good friend of mine, Mr. Alex Armozi. Alex is in the middle of building a massive empire with acquisition.com. Many of you guys have seen him in his social media, his YouTube, Instagram stories, all the goodness. He never skips desserts. The man is a protein fiend, but more importantly, a business phenom. So, one of the best ways I've ever introduce Alex. If anybody ever asked my opinion on Alex, I say, man, this guy has an Ivy League type knowledge with street mixed with street smarts, which is a, a very rare breed indeed. And uh, I think on top of that, I love the fact that he doesn't look like that at all. Uh, <laughs> the fact that he just doesn't care what anybody thinks, always rocking the tank top, the mixture, he, he doesn't care what anybody thinks. Welcome to the show, Mr. Alex. Thanks for having me, man. I, uh, I appreciate the intro. That was uh, one of the most <laughs> succinct ones, and I'm, I'm proud of both sides. Good deal, dude. So me and you, Alex, we, we go back. I was looking through my text messages. We met about four years ago at a mastermind down in Utah, of all places, and got to know you and your wife. And you know the, the thing that, that always impressed me was just how just like straightforward to the point, never beat around the bush, you know, very logical. I love that about your relationship with business, your relationship with people, your relationship with everything. So dude, obviously you've completely shifted gears in your career. You went and built this amazing business with Jim launch. Now you're building acquisition.com. You got a really cool podcast. What is pushing and motivating you right now? I just enjoy playing the game. I think that's like the biggest part of it. And so I write books about business. I make content about business. And when I'm not doing those things, I'm doing business. It's like, that's what I think about all day. And probably like you, like you go to a restaurant, you're like, man, how many tables do you think they turn through here? And like, you know, what do you think they get these, you know, these shrimp at? And then you're like, huh, like, I wonder where they're recruiting the, the staff from. And like, I wonder how they market. Like, cause how did we hear about this? Did we, was it Yelp ad? No, how do we hear? No, somebody told us that, you're, you know, like you start, reverse engineering stuff. And I remember listening to, I think it was a, a little Wayne interview. And he was like, I can't stop rhyming. He's like, I just, I can't stop rhyming. <laughs> He's like, it's this like obsession. And I feel like it's kind of the same thing for me with business in general. It's like, I just, I just like it a lot. And it, it happens to have a monetary outcome. But uh, I know I would do it if it didn't make money, because I do lots of things that are business related that don't make me money. Absolutely. So, I love what you bringing up like, hey, I go into a restaurant, I start thinking about things, which by the way, dude, there are some places that have to be cover ups for the mafia because like, for example, Arby's, <laughs> like there is never a car there. And I go there and I'll eat a turkey sandwich because it's like one of the only quick things that I can get that are somewhat good. Just like, dude, there's yeah. no way. There's no way these guys aren't a cover up for, for drugs, for the mafia, because this has got to be a laundering scheme. <laughs> I definitely have seen some things in like shopping uh, centers. This does not make sense. That's what uh, I've been up to primarily. We've been 
you know, massively investing in media overall because, you know, the overarching idea, like when I when I decided to uh, step down from Gym Launch, was that Gym Launch, in my opinion, was going to eventually become an investment company. So, you know, at a certain, you know, there's fifty thousand micro gym owners in the U.S., and so we had already talked to twenty thousand when I stepped down. So, like. And I followed a lot of the advice that, you know, actually, I'll rewind for a second. I'll tell you a story that you may not know this. So when I went to, we had that little meetup. It was like that. you, me, and like six other people at your your cabin. And so some of my audience listened right. to this. Like when I talked about that meetup, it was actually with Chris. And together, it was like the eight of us were doing half a billion a year in revenue, which I thought was uh, pretty cool. You know what I mean? If you just added up all the business, it might even been higher than that. But it was at least half a billion a year in revenue. And it was interesting from an experience for me because that meeting was actually one of the reasons I decided to sell Gym Launch. And the big takeaway for me, like really? even though we talked about lots of stuff, yeah, we talked about lots of, you know, st- you know, strategies, tactics, hiring people, scaling, blah, 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 that kind of jazz. But the biggest takeaway I had was I looked at everybody in the room who was doing more revenue than I was. And, you know, I was like, okay, is it is it their skill set that I'm lacking? Like, what what am I missing? Right. And the biggest thing that I saw as my takeaway was. I was just in a pond and everyone else was going after an ocean. And so I just needed to, it's like, I mean, VC guys know this because they look at, you know, tech companies are going to invest in. And the first question they ask is, what's TAM? You know, what's total addressable market? And I'd never asked that question because when I come into the business game, everybody was like, niche, 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 niche. And I do think that's 100% the right advice when you're starting out. But at some point, you have to expand. And so I had two directions I could have expanded in. So one is like, I continue to expand more broadly in fitness. So I go after health clubs, which is exactly what Gym Launch is doing now. Is they're going after bigger, big chain gyms, what I call like facility leasing gyms. It's like lots of equipment, lots of treadmills, that kind of thing. We were all service-based facilities. Or we could go down market, go after like personal right. trainers and fitness enthusiasts. And so like, those are like kind of the directions there. But at that point, I've been in fitness for a decade. And I think, you know, if I hadn't sold, then I, I could have continued to go down that path. But I didn't want to be known as the fitness guy. Like I already f- had felt kind of tired of being known as the gym guy. And you can make an argument that that would have been a better move because I've known the space and you just get deeper and deeper knowledge and that becomes your competitive advantage. But in September of 19, I started making general business content. And I stopped making content about gyms. And so um, and it was actually almost at that time that things started growing for me. And so like my podcast, I went from talking about only gyms to talking about business. And then it started growing even though I've been doing it for like two or three years at that point. And then I think a year later after that, I started making my first YouTube videos. And so those were kind of like the first things that I started doing from a general business perspective, because the general business market's a lot bigger than the gym market. And I wanted something that would never stop compounding. Yeah. That was like one of the big lessons that I had from um, gym launch. And I've talked to a lot of you know business owners that have a not like the perfect vehicle when they start their first business because they didn't think about it. Like I didn't think about it. I was just trying to not be broke. But like playing it out and thinking like, what's the, uh, you have to have one or multiple compounding mechanisms within the business in order for it to be able to reach like reach without force, right? Like, could I, you know, get to a thousand cold callers? Like, sure, I could, but like, could I take that same effort and allocate it somewhere else and get a higher return? And so that's, that's ultimately why we started doing all the content stuff. I saw that media has a huge compounding effect, like your audience itself compounds. So it's like 10% more people find out about me every month. And like, when you have 10 people, you go to 11. But when you have 10 million, you go to 11 million. And it just takes time. And so that was kind of the... Right. That was one of the big reasons. Super cool. So for my audience that may not know your your whole story, let's let's rewind. I know I know there was like 
a big factor. Like you went to the Ivy League school, you were planning on following in in uh, the footsteps of your father as far as being a professional, right? I, I know your dad was in the medical field, but you were going to yeah. go. I think you worked for like a government contractor or whatnot. Yeah. Walk us through kind of some of those defining moments that got you to launching a gym. Yeah, so I, I graduated three years from Vanderbilt because I just did extra credits and did summer work and whatnot so I could get ahead. And then I got a consulting job at a boutique strategy firm that did defense contracting. So they did space, cyber, intelligence, or at least those are the projects that I worked on. It looked really good on paper. It sounded great at, at cocktail parties, but I uh, really did not enjoy the work. And being where I'm at now, I would look back and probably just tell myself like, Maybe you just need to switch companies. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not that I didn't necessarily enjoy the work. Right. I could have just been like the three people I saw all the time, or maybe like, you know, there's a lot of other variables, but I extrapolated that to like, I don't want this to be my life, which was true. And I, I saw what the, the, the partner of the firm was, you know, what their life looked like. And I was like, that's what 20 years from now looks like, or 30 years from now looks like. I don't want that life. And so I was pretty depressed at that point. So just sad that like life wasn't working out the way I thought it was going to, even though I'd done all the things that I thought I was supposed to do. And so I started thinking, what do I actually like? And I knew I wanted to start a business. And so I started applying to business schools. And the first question on uh, the Harvard or it was either Booth or whatever, one of the schools was, how will a you know Booth MBA help your long and short-term goals? It's like a standard question. It's not like, I mean, it's not a complicated question, but I ended up staring at it for like three days. Yeah. And staring at it for three days and being like, I don't know if this is going to help my short and long term goals where I was at right then, right? I was two years out. I was two years out of college. You know what I mean? So I was 23, not even. I think I was 22 when I was thinking about applying because I just wanted to change. But I thought about it for a few days and I was like, you know what? I think, I think rather than foregoing two years of income and incurring $120,000 in debt to do this, I could take the 50 grand I've saved up and start a business and like learn that amount and median income coming out of business school at the time was 120 grand. And so I was like, I just got to get to 10 grand a month from my own savings with a business to then like kind of equate to two. And so I was like, if I have no kids, I have no wife. Like if I'm afraid to take a risk now, like I'll never be able to take a risk later. And, and transparently, I still think the hardest decision I've ever made was quitting my job. Today, like for sure, it was still the How old were you at the time? I was 22 when I quit. I mean, you got through school pretty quick. I mean, so you're 22, you're considering going to get in your MBA or whatnot. And that's, that's when you, and you said that yeah. that's the hardest decision. Like talk us through that. Like why was it the hardest decision? Yeah. Well, for me, it was just, I didn't want to disappoint my dad. You know, it was interesting because like the happiest time in my father's life was the saddest of mine. You know what I mean? Like I had done everything that he had told me to do up to that point. And I was living 100% the life that he wanted me to live rather than the life that I wanted to live. And so, I mean, and for anybody who has like a parent or an uncle or a brother or whatever it is that you're trying to live up to, I mean, it was tough because like, you know, I always wanted the approval of my dad and it was like the closest time that I've ever had to like having it. And he was pumped, you know, we'd, we'd go out to get lunch like two days or three days a week. So I moved close enough to home that, that we could do that. And so he was like, he got to, you know, brag about me to his friends. And, and that was like... That was it for him, you know? And every time I talk about opening a business, he was like, yeah, 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 like do this and then go to business school and then, you know, whatever. And, and I was like, because he's always for formal education. So he was like, yeah, business school, that makes sense. Like, go do that. But every time I bring it up, you keep like, you know, like, yeah, 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 like come over, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it over lunch. And so it was just like months and months and months of like kind of always having that kind of pulled away. And then when I decided to quit, it took me six months from when I thought I wanted to quit to when I actually quit. And it was like six months of like, really tough every day, mm -hmm. like pacing, like, you know, I mean, like I lived alone, just like calling everybody I knew, probably to the point where everybody I knew, like was sick of hearing me like talk about this debate over and over again. 
And finally, just make I just figured already. Yeah, exactly. And finally, I just figured there's lots of little micro moments. But one of them was like I was reading all these self help books at that time. So I was reading like you know a few books a week because I was like trying to like you know invest in myself. And I realized after like my twentieth self help book that like my life was the same. <laughs> and some of the books said things that contradicted one another. You know what I mean? <laughs> some of them were like manifest everything. Other ones were like don't manifest anything. And I was like. Right. Oh, <laughs> and so, um, sorry if I cuss you. Yeah. <laughs> and so, finally, it was actually like downside. Yeah, it was like downside decision making, which is like what what ended up driving it for me. Just saying, like, okay, well, worst case scenario is I lose all the money that I've saved up, and my business fails, and then I can go to business school with like a real world experience, and I can write essays about it or whatever. So that was like, it sounds so simple now, but like that right. being my worst case ended up being the thing that I decided to like lean a lot on. And so I still knew my dad wasn't going to be game for it. I basically left without telling anyone. And I called my dad when I was halfway across the country because I drove to California. And I called him up. and I was like, Hey, you know, just want to let you know, I'm, I want to start that business. And he was like, All right, we'll come over. We can talk about it. And I'd already had, you know, I'd already knew that he would just talk me off the ledge again. And so I was like, Nah, I'm, I, I can't. He was like, Why? He was like, I'm, I'm in Ohio right now. I'm was like, what? And then obviously at that point, he, you know, was very upset. <laughs> and I said, why are you so extreme? You always, you know, like you're never balanced. Like you need to be more balanced. Blah, blah, blah. And the thing is, is a lot of people will hear that story and be like, oh, well, it's cool. Your dad's probably happy with you now. But like, we weren't cool for a while, like a long while, not like months, but like years. You know, we stayed in touch. Like I'm his son. I was alive. You know, I shoot the occasional text, like two, three minute call, like once a month or something. But I looked at right. three different businesses that I thought about starting. A frozen yogurt stand, a test prep because I was good at taking standardized tests, and I mean because I because I I gone from like a six thirty I think on the GMAT when I took it the first time to seven thirty or seven forty, which was like twenty points higher than Harvard's Midscore at the time to get it. Actually, so you you just did yours, so like yeah, so you're you're probably familiar with this. So it was, I got a seven thirty or seven forty on it, and all I did to prep for it was I bought every GMAT book at Barnes and Noble in like the test prep section, they're all like these phone book thick things. Because I found this research study that said this line on a chart that said, the more problems you do, the better your score is. Like it was just straight up, just like problems score. And so I was like, great. I can like input out of output equations for like success. Like I can do that. And so I did four hours a day of problems for 16 weeks. And that's what got my score above Harvard's score. And so I was like, okay, I could, I could teach people how to do that. Hey, Mosin Nation, quick break just to let you know that we've been starting to post on LinkedIn and want to connect with you. All right, so send me a connection request and note letting me know that you listen to the show and I will accept it. If there's anyone you think that we should be connected with, tag them in one of my or Layla's posts and I will give you all the love in the world. All right, so let's get back to the show. I couldn't afford the yogurt thing because when I called up like franchises and stuff, they were like, it's 250 grand. I was like, oh, I'm not going to do it. And so then it was just test prep and gyms. Because I was into fitness already. So I was like, I kind of have a little bit of advantage there. And then um, I was going to do a test prep thing. And then I prepped all this stuff and I gave it to somebody who was going to be my partner. And then they ended up taking it and just doing it on their own. And so I kind of had like a bad taste in my mouth from that. So I was like, I guess I'm going to do fitness. And I had this lady at the gym that I was working out at ask me to meet her for lunch, like a much older. And I was like, it wasn't weird. So anyways, I met her for lunch because she wanted to ask me about nutrition. So I was like, sure. And so um, I talked to her for an hour about like what she could do with her food or whatever. And then she handed me a check for a hundred bucks. I wasn't in business, but the idea that this lady just gave me a check for a hundred dollars for like sitting down with her, I was like, "Whoa, like I could make money doing this." And so there was a lot of like little things that happened. And then um, when I finally decided to um, 
leave was because I, I reached out to 40 different gym owners who looked like they were doing okay. And I right. just said, like, can I just work for you for free? And no one got back to me except for one guy. And he said, uh, yeah, you can work for me for free. And so I, drove, so I drove across the country to his gym and I like showed up at the front door and he was like, I was like, Hey, I'm here. And he was like, I'm doing shit right now. Wait, like, what? what's up, man? <laughs> yeah. Like she was like, he was like, well, where are you staying? And I was like, I don't know yet. He's like, you mean you literally like drove directly to my gym? And I was like, yeah, like I was, I didn't know. You know what I mean? And so, uh, he was like, you can stay at my place tonight, but like, you need to find someplace. I was like, ah, I'll figure it out. And so the next morning he like went, like stand up, stood on a box and was like, Hey, does anybody have an extra bedroom for this kid? And he's like pointing at me, like in the, in the oh thick of a little gym. And this dude came up to me and I like worked out with that gym owner. He had like a crew of three or four guys that he trained with in the morning at like 4 a.m. And so one of the guys I'd worked out with was like, you can stay in one of my spare bedrooms. And so, uh, you know, I paid a few hundred bucks a month in rent for one of these, this guy's bedroom. He wanted to get in shape. He was like, Hey, just make sure I don't eat like crap. And I was like, okay, I can do that. <laughs> and, um, that was how I got my foot into fitness. And as a fun side note for the audience, like I was working a white collar job on pace to be able to make, you know, a hundred grand plus. And then, you know, obviously two years after business school, like, scale up from there. And I went all the way back to basically being a trainer which doesn't even require a college education or the experience I had for, I think it was like, I don't know, 12 bucks an hour or something like that. I don't even know what I was getting at. And so like a lot of times wow. I think you have to take some steps back if you want to start something new. Dude, I think that's such a, a key principle that a lot of people don't quite understand is like the value of experience and education in doing what you want to go and build is worth so much more than the short-term dollars that you're going to get paid. And so that I love the idea of like going and working for somebody for free, uh, especially if that somebody is like an incredible mentor that can really catapult your career, right? And there's not a successful entrepreneur in the world that would turn down a hungry guy or girl that's like, hey, let me come learn and work for you for free and just just mentor and I'll do whatever you say, right? Like, I mean, everybody's going to take a piece of that. You know, actually, I want to give some caveats to this. I think you'll you'll agree with me because I've given this advice a lot. And I had um, my training partner. I was talking about a kid who came up to me and was like, "Hey, can I work for you for free?" And probably with your st- station and status that you're getting right now, you'll you'll st- uh, you probably already do. But like, I have, you know, I probably get fifty a day of people saying like, "Can I work for free for you or do something for free for you?" And so, two or three big caveats around this. Number one is that I recommend that if you're going to try and do this approach. You want to go to somebody who's one or two steps ahead of you. Elon Musk, if you're like, hey, Elon, can I get your coffee for you? Like, Elon doesn't need you to get his coffee. <laughs> like, it's not like he's going to sit down with you every morning and give you a one hour coaching call because you gave him his coffee. Like, people don't think about this, right? And there's right. this issue I, that I see amongst poor people that think that their time is worth something. And it's not. There's no shortage of low skilled labor. They right. have this idea that, like, if I'm willing to do $30,000 a year of work for you, you now owe me all of your time because I'm giving you my time. So my minutes are the same as your minutes, but they're clearly not because you're pursuing me and I'm not pursuing you. And so caveat number one is like, you want to go to somebody yeah. whose supply demand of free labor is in your favor. So if somebody who's one or two steps ahead of you, they probably don't have a lot of people saying they want to work for free. Right now, that person might not have all the skills that Elon Musk has, but they got more skills than you. And so it's like, okay, so number one is go after people right. who are just a couple steps ahead. Number two is, you want to make them an offer that's so good that they feel stupid saying no. Because like, I don't want people to get this twisted. Like you were getting the better end of the deal. If someone starts working with Chris and just shadows you every day, right? Or shadows me every day. Let's not pretend here. Like my life is not better off because you're in it now. 
your life is going to be significantly better because I'm at it. I'm just like, I don't want to sugarcoat it. Like, let's be real for a second, right? And so in order to, to do that, like you have to provide value. And so one of the things that I see, and I get this in my DMs all the time, which is like, hey, I'd like to do this in exchange for working you know, alongside you. And I'm like, no. First off, like the whole principle of no. giving first isn't an offer to give first. It is giving first, period, without expectation of something back. So it's like, what does Chris need? Well, Chris probably wants somebody to edit and cut his podcast or take his podcast clips and redistribute them. You don't offer to do that. You just do it and then send it to him. And then you keep doing it and keep sending it to him. And I'll bet you that if you do that for 10, 50, 100 days straight, Chris will be like, well, damn, this kid is like really, really hungry. Like he's willing to continue. He took the initiative, figured out what I wanted, et cetera. Because the, the alternative of that, right, is that you come up and you say, hey, Chris, I want to work for you for free. And he says, what's the next thing he's going to say? He's going to be like, well, what can you do? And now what are you asking Chris to do? You're asking Chris to work for you. Because we now have to figure out what you're good at. And we have to think all this, like I'm doing all this work for you, right? Instead, it's like you have to show the initiative. You have to have some skill. You have to demonstrate that you have the skill and that you can identify a need for another person. Like it's basic level. But that that basic level is a hurdle that most people won't jump over. So I'm a little lit on this because I, I just happened yesterday. That, that, so is, like, that is the best explanation. I freaking love that. That is probably the best explanation I've ever, ever been given with like the two caveats because <laughs> yes, I've, I've always believed the principle of like, Hey, add value and, and whatever. But man, those freaking two caveats are a hundred percent true because yeah, if I have somebody come and be like, to your exact point, I, I have guys in my DMS or whatnot all the time, but the people that actually create the value and give it to me, you cannot deny that, right? You just can't deny it. So it's, it's absolutely phenomenal. That's, that's yeah. a great, great and concept. One of the costs they don't quantify is how much your time is worth, right? So let's say right now, market rate, like any CEO who wants a big exit says, Hey, Chris, I'll pay you 25,000 an hour to like have your time, right? And so for you, it's like an hour of my time, market rate is 25, 35 grand, whatever it is, right? And if the work that this person is doing for a whole year is $35,000 worth of work, if you ask me or you need, an hour a week of my time, right? I have to think about the opportunity cost of what my time is worth. And so like, you're actually like, you have to make sure that the value you're providing is in excess of the time it's costing me. And the higher up the person is, the less of their time you're going to be able to take, not only because like, it's really valuable, but like, it's going to be a cost that you're never going to be able to overcome. If you take an hour of my time, it's like, you got to be able to make a million a year. And that's just at cost. That's breaking. Like, I would like to get a return on my time, right? So you got to be able to make 10 million a year for me for me to give you an hour a week of my time. I'm not going to, like, I'm not being a dick here. I'm just saying, like, that's just the math, right? And so the real real is the higher yeah. up, the higher up the person is that you're trying to go after, you might have to do what we just said for somebody who works for Chris, for one of Chris's leaders. And then that's you right. prove to that person that you're worth it. And then you get a seat. And then you have, and then you get two or three steps closer. And that's the idea is you keep trading up. So that you can get closer to the person. Like I can't reach out to Elon Musk and say, I'll work for you for free. Cause he wouldn't care. Why is he going to care for you? He'd be like, Alex who? Alex who? Right. No, no, I don't want, right. I don't want him. So I love how your stuff is just so black and white, right? Like one plus one equals two, or we ain't doing it. Right. Like it, it's just, yeah. there's no beating around the bush. It, it makes it work. So how does somebody get to Alex or Mosey? Right. Like, what value are you lacking that if like somebody offered, holy crap, man, I, I would give that guy an hour of my time. 
All right, two easy ways that you can identify what somebody ahead of you might want that you could offer them for free, right? So number one is look at what they're currently doing and think, is there a way that I can do more of what they're doing or can I help them do it better? Now, I wouldn't say, hey, I think your stuff sucks. I can help you do it better. The amount of people who say that about my social media, like in my DMs, are like, hey, I think you're really missing the mark here on this. They say from a, an account that has 500 followers to my million person account. And I'm like, really though? <laughs> like, do you think that's the angle you're going to try and take? Like, probably not the best strategy, right? And so it's like, <laughs> you want to see what I'm currently doing, do more. So you're like, hey, you might need more clips of you, right? So I can help do that. And instead of saying it, you do it first, right? You don't say I can do more clips, just do it. Or you say, I think we right. can do them better because there's some, there's some trends that you're missing out on. Again, do it and show it, right? Show, don't tell. So that's number one is looking at what they're currently doing and can they do more or can they do it better? The second thing is looking at what they're not doing, but you think they should be doing. All right. So for example, I don't really email my list at all. Like we have a thousand people every day that join <laughs> email list.acquisition.com. And it's because I do want to make sure that anything I provide is exceptionally valuable and I haven't had time to do it. So like I've sent like two emails in the last year. And so like somebody who could help take my words from other places and then craft them in the emails that are valuable would be something that would be great for me. They might notice that I'm not on Pinterest, right? Like I'm not on right. Pinterest because I don't understand the platform. And so like if you understand Pinterest and you want like then start making Pinterest posts for me, like talk about easy opportunities, go somewhere I'm not. And help me take the stuff I already got and repurpose it. Like, how much time is that for me? Zero. How much value is it for me? More than zero, right? Because I'm not doing anything there, right? And so it's more better of what they're currently doing. And then looking at other places that we can add new into the current mix without them having any cost. So I'm incurring the cost of sifting, sorting, understanding the platform and posting it on Alex's behalf. Now, I'm using this as an example, but the person might be going after might not be an influencer or whatever. Like they might have other needs. I'm just giving you like simple examples that someone can think through of like, okay, how do I make an offer for yeah, Alex? Dude, I love really it. Exciting. So right now, man, to your exact point, like I'm not phenomenal at YouTube, right? Like I'm just getting going on YouTube, really starting to understand that platform. It's a platform that I've avoided for, for so long, right? Instagram, Facebook, known that for a while, known how to, to do the marketing and whatnot. But yeah, Pinterest, <laughs> I mean, a lot, a lot of the things that you're, you're saying, email, I mean, dude, me, me and you operate a lot, very similar, right? I don't email a list. I don't, I don't post on Pinterest. I don't, you know, all these, all these things really starting to, to get into, you know, and, and for me, it's like if somebody could come and help me figure out how to, you know, better leverage my time in a lot of ways, as far as like identifying deals, like bringing me deals to the table, right? Because, because I'm, I'm in a, in a similar position as you where I'm, I'm in deal mode, right? Like looking yeah. and evaluating or whatnot. If somebody went and actually sifted through a deal and said, Chris, this is the reason, like, Hey, not only am I bringing you a deal, but I did all the due diligence and the research and here it is, right? Like, and, and can cut out a lot of the, the, my time, my, my effort or whatnot, and would actually physically bring it to me. I mean, that right there, whenever somebody like shows up and, and does something that is of high value, like it's, it's really hard to turn that person down, especially if, like you said, they are one to two steps behind you, right? If it's some, some employee that's never done a deal, that's never done it, whatever, and they're trying to bring a deal to me, no way. But if somebody's got a track record and it's like, Hey, I've done a thousand transactions over the last three years. And I've done transactions with Alex. I've done transactions with, you know, this, that, and the other person. 
And this is why you're going to want, you're going to look at what I have to offer or what I'm bringing you, the value I'm creating, like I'm paying attention. Right. And so, yeah, man, like there are so many, so many different ways and people just aren't creative enough. They just go and they do the stupid DMs that they copy and paste across a hundred different influencers platforms and they expect results. Which, you know, you got to applaud the the hustle, but it's like, dude, just just think for a minute. Think like, would this, if I was sitting in your shoes, would this appeal to me? It's interesting. 